Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Come and get some. the Hey, it's Steve Balton. You're here on My Turning Point, where this week, Sage Baba and I sit down with Pozier. Always an amazing interview. Always love talking to him. Has a wonderful new album, Unreal Unearthed, out this week. And we had a blast talking with him about songwriting, the creative process, Tom Waits, Bruce Springsteen, so much more. So I hope you enjoy this one as much as we did. Cool. So you've had a listen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, of course, I got to see a bunch of stuff last night, and you know, yes. it's always such a fascinating thing when you debut new material on stage mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in front of an audience that hasn't heard it. Yeah. But you've been very fortunate in developing that fan base mm-hmm. that allows you mm-hmm. to just experiment. Yeah. And play around, you know. Yeah, I I think I'm blessed with a listening audience, and they're very literate. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, they are, they are. It's funny, I remember talking with Tom Morello once about the fact that, you know, Rage is the most political band in the world. Mm-hmm. Morello's been a friend forever. And we were talking about the fact that realistically, half the crowd mm-hmm. has no idea what the fuck the band is talking about. They just hear those hard riffs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. I, I think they, I think, I think there's something special in that. In, in that it, I, I really struggle to, to find, it's hard to make music that, to, to find the, the perfect space of what's music that's really want to listen to and is really enjoyable and, and in Rage's case you want to rock out to and like really you'd be charged with, with an energy that like you'll find in no other music but then also if you want to dig the layers, are, the layers are there and there's so much intention to the work as opposed to it just being you know it's rock music for the sake of just rocking out oh I, I got a few silver alerts on the way here yeah let me make sure it's still recording cool yeah um, but yeah so actually finding that, that space where the music is something people really want to enjoy and listen to, and then to know that there is something there. If for people who want to dig, it's there. For those who many won't, you know. But um, there's some, something wonderful about that. You know? Well, it's interesting for you. Who is that first artist where you discovered those layers? Because I know exactly what you're talking about. And it's like again, you look at you know, 
It's funny, of late, I think, probably for both of us, probably because I'm also good friends with Cameron Crowe, and we just were talking with him about Joni. Yeah. But I go to her so much for that. Yes, yeah. And for sure, I'm, I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to think of examples. Um, there, there was a, I don't know, there was, it, it depends on kind of what, what the intention was. Um, I think I, I told you once before, like Tom Waits was a, it was a huge early influence for me as a teenager. But then I was listening to it, and this is, I'm going to out myself also for being a teenager, with uh, a dial-up internet connection. No ability to go to a record store and, just go and to buy more Tom Waits records. So back in the LimeWire, like, you know, back in, the, in, the, in the, the LimeWire days, you would just type in Tom Waits and hope to God you'd get some lucky dip of something that came through. And I remember getting, like, songs of, like, uh, stuff from his, his, like, Wilson plays. So, like, Blood Money, and he did all the, like, he wrote the music for, like, like Black Rider and stuff yeah. like that. And to me, initially, I was just like, oh, this is some weird, dark, twisted sort of soundscapes. And I really enjoyed them. And then it was like, oh, no, there's a narrative here. You know what I mean? And, 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 and I suppose that that offers license. It's like, oh, you can do that, too. Like, you can, there, can be narr there can be narrative. There can be, there can be stuff going on beneath this. But, but on, a, on the more political side of stuff, there's so much of Irish uh, folk music is codified. Because for a long, long time... Like it, it's the, the the elements of sort of uh, the in, the the emancipatory sort of messages in a lot of Irish folk music, old Irish folk music, had to be coded into the songs because it was illegal to 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 actually write about uh, Irish nationhood uh, under British occupation for, for a few centuries. So th there's something to that, and I remember for the first time just getting into my dad's record collection hearing Mississippi Goddamn for the first time as like an eight-year-old boy in Ireland having no understanding of what the history of what that song was about but just being like fascinated by that as, an, as a musical piece and the intensity behind it, the, the, like, the, 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 the visual elements in the, in the lyrics, the sort of the, the pictures that it, that it evoked and then obviously Nina's voice in it and Nina Simone's sort of like performance and then growing up and going oh my god there's there's so much like that there's so much in this that I, I you know will actually never understand as well too in the experiences behind that but uh, yeah so like layers I don't know I just there's a few examples but um, it depends on depends on what some some of which are narrative layers and some of which are political you know sort of political and, and intentional messaging you know yeah yeah, well, no, it's fascinating because the thing is, too, again, most good songwriting has a universality that, you know, makes it so... We were just talking about this with John Feldman yesterday. We were at his house. Feldman's a friend, and we were talking about the Beatles in my life. Mm. And to me, that's always been one of the top songs ever written mm -hmm. because, again, it's a song that it feels like everybody can write. And you mm -hmm. know John Lennon wrote it about someone very specific, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but every single person... Or my favorite song of all time is James Taylor, Fire and Rain. Yeah. And I remember watching a special... And literally the entire audience is crying mm -hmm. and I was just laughing my ass off mm -hmm. even at everybody crying because I was like every single person crying mm -hmm. is crying for a totally different reason. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They always associate a different memory with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting for you yeah. Yeah. when you think of stuff that, and I'm going to let Sage jump in in one second because I know that she really wants to talk, but um, for you, it's interesting when you think of like, you know, songs that you've written. That, and even coming, you know, talking about the new album, Unreal Unearth, mm -hmm. are there those moments where you channel into something very, very, very specific, mm -hmm. and then you're surprised by how much people can respond to something that for you... Like, I was just talking with Brandy Clark, amazing new album. I don't know if you've heard that record yet. Not yet. Not it's so yet. fucking good. And there's a song on there called... Uh, 
it's something about her grandmother, mm -hmm. but it's literally about her grandmother who was an old racist smoking in the house. And everybody was like, but that's my grandma. Right, right. You know? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so they're like, it's become, she's like, I, I wasn't going to put it on the record. Yes. Until yeah. everybody told me to put it on. Yeah. Brandy Clark and Warner Brothers, or Brandy Carlisle, rather. Yes, you know? yeah. So yes. do you have those moments on the record? There, there is. Um, there is a few moments on the record that are like, you're kind of, if I was to, if I was to open up the lyrics and really like, you know, they're, like, they're deeply personal, you know what I mean? That they, they come from a very, very deeply, like maybe a deeply intimate or personal place, but I think that the beauty of, of, of having your work received and that the whole reason that you make it is that it's kind of completed by the listener, you know? They sort of, they close the circle, you know, and um, the, the, you, can, you can have your intention, you can, you can have the work, but the, the, it, it is going to be finished. It's going to be interpreted exactly. You sing it in front of a thousand people, it'll be interpreted a thousand times and um, all differently. And it will all make, it'll, they'll all make sense of it in their own experience. And there's something very wonderful about that. Um, but yeah, it's um, for sure. And it, it is, it's, it's really affirming. And I think it, it, if nothing else, you feel that little bit less alone to know that like something that is very private or very personal, you can put into a work and then and see it really resonate with people and, and really move them. And we're, we're, you know what I mean? There's a, there's a really great connecting point there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite things about music is how it connects us to what I believe is the truth in the universe outside of this mm -hmm. kind of realm. Um, and your the the title and the album cover just like struck such a chord with that. And I'd mm. love to hear where the inspiration comes from in kind of connecting to earth and bringing that into it. And I know that that's always you are present in your music and that's one of the things I love so much about it. Yeah. Um, but I'd love to hear. Yeah. Um, it's funny. You said that kind of the truth of the universe and stuff. I had a good chat with Katie Mack last week who's a, who's a theoretical uh, physicist. And, and she's doing like research. She's in an institute in the... What's it called? What's the name of it? Um, it's just outside of Toronto. It's kind of a public-facing um, information sort of. It's a it's a institution that that deals in 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 letting people know really where where they're at with like particle physics and stuff like that. But like the truth of the universe is she she's was trying to explain to me the smaller they get, the closer they keep looking. It's like every time they try to measure something. They do something different, they point a light differently at it, and all of a sudden the laws of physics are, you know what I mean, they just can't nail it down just yet. And, it, and it's like everything, she was just trying to describe everything that we're, that we're looking at now is a, is a process or a byproduct of something that's happening behind a curtain that they just really can't lift, you know what I mean, at this moment in time. But, um, but uh, which is kind of unrelated, but possibly related, but the, un the Unreal Unearth sort of title just comes from... Um, uh, um, I started writing a lot of the songs at the beginning of the pandemic, and I hate to use the P word again, you know, I know we're all sort of fed up with it, but, um, but it felt very surreal in Europe as well too, like when the new, when it sort of, news was kind of, hap was kind of making waves of what was happening in Italy, and then like for a long, long time, you're sort of sitting in lockdown in those early parts, just watching numbers rise, you know, and, and like just news reports of like, here's how many people died today, and here's how many cases there were, and I friends working for the government who are like looking, making contingency plans and you know what I mean? It's like you forget some of the sort of more uh, macabre stories of like 
you know, prisoners going out and digging, you know what I mean, and, and get preparing for the eventuality of, like, okay, needing mass graves, if it comes to that, or governments looking at ice skating rinks as possible makeshift morgues and stuff like that. It was a really, really strange time. Now, thank God it didn't, didn't get that bad, but they weren't really sure what, how bad it could get, you know, what the mortality rate could, could rise to. Um, and so it just seemed surreal. It just was like, here is this. This is absolutely dreamlike. You know, this is completely surreal. Uh, also, misinformation was really, like, ramping up, I think, in, in a lot of online spaces, and there was a huge amount of... It was just, it was a, a good time to be a conspiracy theory, you know? And um, so that, that sense of... of, of, un, of uh, of an unrealness, of a, of a surrealness to the, to the world. But then unearth also as, as verb, as to dig and to uncover, to actually unearth something, to, to, to dig downwards. And I think in, in that time, I certainly, I'm sure a lot of people had to experience that, where there kind of was a little bit of a digging uh, to make sense of that time. And, and, um, but to unearth, but then also the idea of, yeah, this is a non-earth or an earth being unmade. An earth that is that is like not itself, if that makes sense. So that's where the unreal earth title kind of came from. And the uh, the uh, the I wanted to credit something of a journey through that time and through that upheaval, this sort of like psychic social uh, unrest and and like deep disturbance. You know what I mean? Um, and 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 horror as well too. And sort of this this. Uh, and the journey through that in, in I suppose, the personal, uh, trying to credit it as a journey without making a quote-unquote pandemic album or a lockdown album, etc., and just using using the, the nine circles as a, as, a, as a route through that, descending into something, finding your way into something. Like that line in, in Inferno is like, uh, somewhere on life's path, I, I became lost, you know, this... Dante just, it doesn't really explain how he ends up off that path. It's just like, it just happened. Here I was. And there's this one line in it that I think I was, I was sort of using the time to catch up with um, reading poems, like epic poems and old poetry that I just thought, like, I should, as a lyricist, I really need to sit down and sort of like, you know, just do that, do the hard work. <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, there's this one be very beautiful passage in, in, in uh, where Virgil, who guides Dante through, comes to Dante and he explains why he's there. And he's like, Dante has just been met with three beasts that represent the kind of avarice and greed of the world and, and etc. blah, blah, blah. And he's t terrified of being torn apart to pieces by this. This wolf that, it's, that he describes as, uh, quite beautifully is that carries with it the entire hunger of the world and the more it eats, the hungrier it gets. And it's kind of like this beast that represents greed. And he's like terrified of being torn to shreds by it. Virgil appears, the shade of Virgil, this go like, and he says, listen, um, Beatrice came to me quite funnily, quite, like quite hilariously. Beatrice didn't like, this isn't intentionally funny, but it's just, Beatrice was up in, up in heaven. Somebody had to tell Beatrice, do you not see that Dante's in, in awful state? But the way, the, you know, uh, so she has to get up off her, off her, off her pillowy cloud and, and she doesn't go to Dante. She goes to Virgil and says, listen, will you, will you help this lad out? Um, and Virgil then comes to Dante. But the line that, that, that Virgil recites as what he heard from Beatrice is like, uh, do you not, you know, Rachel says to Beatrice up in heaven, do you not see him calling out for you? He's assailed by a flood of death that no ocean on earth had, can boast the power to surpass. And just the, the language of it and, and the way he describes 
having no no way of contemplating how much life has been lost through human history when he first sees the sort of trains entering into hell um, uh, it's just it, it just at that moment I was at, at that time all that was on the news was just numbers 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 of just like this is how many lives are on the line and it just felt surreal and it felt it felt upsetting and it felt like uh, yeah sort of um, Hor horrible. So it, it, that's that's why I think it just it just it, it resonated with me in that time, and it became part of the part of the idea. You know, that's a very long answer, but yeah, that's, that's all right. Okay, okay. <laughs> Longer answers are better. People always say that, and I'm like, well, it's much better than people say, uh huh. <laughs> that makes for a pretty shitty interview. I suppose so. Yeah, I suppose so. It's interesting though, as you think back now, because I was talking about this with people too, and and we are both big proponents in actually doing a whole project about writing and the subconscious. Yes. And of course, good writing is subconscious. Yes. And then it, you come back to it a couple of years after the beginning of the P word. Yeah. And it's like, so have, are there things in this album that really surprise you? When you look at using unearth as a verb to unearth, mm -hmm. to dig, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what did you unearth for you? Yeah. Um, I, I definitely, I definitely did. I think there were, there's, 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 experiences that I wrote about in, in moments of the album, I think, in like Ishgurdaha, in like uh, to someone from a warm climate, that are like that are probably more personal or intimate than I than I um than I've put put to paper. And I think um there's there's elements of myself that I definitely in like a song called First Time that it's 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 really nice to just actually say that and and credit about myself and just say well I guess this is part of my experience of, of living which I had I just hadn't really been so honest about you know and um, yeah and then also but in the making of it as you say like to unearth this kind of like I had lost or I had forgotten that I wrote a lot of the album with with Bacon with Dan Tenenbaum and got his sort of team of guys we just jammed music and I writing for me was so isolated so solitary to just be in a, in a room of people, like it wasn't all cathartic sort of pain on our thing. It was like that was just really fun, and I forgot that you can make music in a way that isn't is joyful and like it was just a bit of a party. We just get together and like jam tunes and then see what happens. And like to to uncover that again, something I I hadn't done since I was maybe fourteen, you know. So that was amazing. Was the process of creating this album very, very different than previous because of that? I think I think so. Um, I a lot of it, a lot of the material I, I wrote, like the rest of my material, that is sort of in isolation, which I always loved. But I, it's I'm like it's you know it's that thing of like it's different when you cherish being alone and there's other people nearby and and you know that you're 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 being alone away from people as opposed to being alone because you just have to. And I lived out in the countryside and, and you know, in the middle of lockdown, I ran out of, of enjoying that loneliness. You know what I mean? I, I um, it, 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 you, eventually you hit your own walls. You sort of, uh, so once I, once I had written all that I needed to write, um, I, it was the, uh, the making of it was stop start. I, I couldn't really, I couldn't get into, the, you know, it was hard to move around the borders weren't exactly open depending on where you were trying to go to work with certain producers but when so when I came in I just I didn't waste time I just it was just like let's see what happens and that was very different to just sit in with Dan to to co-write and actually let go of the reins at times and just go you know what I love that idea and just accept that sometimes like it's it, you really it's it's great to 
to put two minds together or three minds together and and let somebody do what they're amazing at doing um, in arrangement, in in, in composition, etc. And so it's the first time I really co-wrote co at all, and that, that was new completely. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think it's interesting as you get older, you get more freed, yeah. you know. And it's like again, you know, I could have never interviewed with someone before. Granted, she's much smarter than me, so it makes it easy. <laughs> but in general, like I couldn't have, you know. But it makes it more fun for. But it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that carried over? Because the show last night was so much fun, and mm -hmm. the band was having so much fun. Yeah. And in fact, she looks at me at one point. The first thing she says to me is, "How do I get to be Hozier's backup singer?" <laughs> because it was just so entertaining on there. Yeah, yeah. So do you feel like that's carrying over now? I think I think so. And uh, Alex Ryan, who's a bass player up there, so he's a, he's an MD. Also, at times, like we'd just come in and sound check, and he's like, "I want to just try something," and and he would throw a new job at, at some member of the band and be like, "What if in this section you do that?" And um, once upon a time, I'd be like, "Oh no, just you know, stick to the you know, let's not you know, let's not deviate, etc." But watching the actual set change in form as part of our experience of the tour is 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 really fun. And again, it's like. I think it's, you're right, you, you become slightly less precious or less less dogmatic in the way that you want to do things. The way, you know what I mean? You, you feel confident. Well, I think it's just as you get older, you get comfortable with the fact that it's like, wait, it's way more fun if you're actually with people smarter than you. Yes, 100%, 100%. 100%. Is there some saying that's like, if, if you think you're the smartest person in the room, you, you probably, you know what I mean? It's you're like in the you're, wrong you're room. You're in the yeah. wrong room, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, see, I'm in the right room because I'm the third smartest person in the room, so it makes <laughs> it easy for me. That's great, yeah. I don't know about, I don't know about that. Um, oh, my God. But, um, um, no, I think... But is it, is it making music more fun for you? Because, again, I think that when you have that... When you lift expectations, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you can enjoy things much more. 100%. 100%. I think expectations are, are, a, are a real silent killer. Like they, they, and they're, it's like that comparison is a thief of joy. Expectations, they take it before you even get there. You know what I mean? You know, it's, it's like you kind of undermine the experience before you've even started it. You know? so, um, and you'll never, you'll never actually, with the regards to many expectations, you, you never, it's just a fruitless endeavor, I think, to, 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 to carry too much heavy expectations about what you need out of this. You know? Because the work, the song, the, whatever the, the music is, that will also need to be its own self, and that, that, will, that will speak itself to you as it's being made. And you also just have to listen to it and let it happen. You know? um, whatever it is, the moment, the, the, the jam, the, the session. And um, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. It's confidence as well too, knowing that whatever the outcome is, you're able to you're able to you're able to feel it. You're able to to think on your toes and just go with it. And um, yeah, so to go in and that was a big part of it. You're right. To jam, we would do ten, twelve jam like songs in a day. Now we wouldn't we wouldn't make anything out of them. Maybe maybe one of those is something I take away the recording, come back with with a few ideas, but. Uh, to go in with no expectations, and there's only abundance. Like it's like everything is everything is great. You know, like if it's if it's a bad idea, good. If it's a good idea, good. You know what I mean? It's happy days. You know, it's like that, that Samuel Beckett "fail better" quote. You know, as well too. It's just like if if we do if we jam five songs and nothing happens, it's like fail no matter, fail again, fail better. You know what I mean? It's just like keep keep going. It's, it's, yeah, every 
Well, I'm curious on this, and then I'm going to let you finish off because I've been talking a lot. But it's funny because talking about the live show and having that sort of freedom, my favorite artist of all time is Springsteen. Yes. Who is like the master of that. But it's funny, Tom Waits, I've, I've got to see many times by mm. following him around the country because he doesn't fucking play. He doesn't tour, yeah. yeah. I did hear, though, he's writing new songs. I'm delighted to hear that. Yeah. I'm delighted to hear that. Yeah. But anyway, and it's but same thing. I would go see him. You know, he would play New York. I'd go three nights in a row at the Beacon. Yes. And it's never the same show. So for mm -hmm. you, mm -hmm. are there artists that you've really admired for the way they've been able to change things up and be free? And now, as you reach this point in your career, mm -hmm. where Alex the MD comes in and mm -hmm. says, "No, we're going to do a 17-minute Grateful Dead type jam." I hope that doesn't happen. By <laughs> but yeah. It doesn't quite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't quite. It, it does not. Um. I'm 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 letting I'm not that controlling, but I'm you know. <laughs> but uh, it's all good, man. I don't want to hear I don't want to hear 17 minutes of fish. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. But are, are there artists that you really admire for that, and that you start to look at and be like, okay, now I have this freedom to be able to, you know? Yeah, I I think so, I think so. I Bruce Springsteen to me is is um, he just there's so few artists really who can do it like he does it, and I think. I don't think there's anybody. I don't yeah. think there is. There's yeah. not. No one can do three and a half, four hours. And, and like, so to be able, and also to have a band like that, that is as iconic as the E Street Band. And there's, there's, it's like you're looking at this magnificent ship when you're at it. You know what I mean? When you're at a Bruce Springsteen show, it's like, and everybody's role is so iconic and so important. And, and I don't know. I, I think, um, so what you're saying is you're a big fan of the East Street Band. I, I just think it's a re I think it's a really special model of like what an, of what a rock and roll experience can be, what a show can be, what a what a an, a musical entity like them. You know what I mean? It, it, well, I, I admit I had a, a, a dual agenda in asking that because that's my favorite artist of all time, mm -hmm. and she hates big shows. So she's like, I've already seen Springsteen on Broadway. I don't need to see East Street Band. But I've tried to explain it, it is a whole different world. It's, it is, yeah, it is. And I I think I would love to be at a point where. If you could, I mean, for me, it's always, I've always, like, it's, it's tricky. The first, the first song I ever released was like this crossover pop hit, but it was never about sort of, it was always about, can I do this when I'm when my 40s and my 50s and my 60s? Can I have a family like that and I can play this music in a, in a way that feels half as joyful as that and half as giving and generous as, as what, what the E Street do, E Street Band do every, every night, you know, I think there's something magnificent about that. And the, how it's dynamic, how it changes night by night, he's just calling songs as it goes. I think, as you say, I don't think there's artists, who, there's not many artists on the planet who could do that really. Prince was the only other one I saw who could do that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Prince with his band was literally like, you know, mm -hmm. you can fucking say, okay, play now, you know, ACDC, Back in Black, you yes. never heard the song and somehow, yes. you know, they're doing a 17 minute funk cover up. 17 seems to be the number stuck in my brain. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's like crazy funk cover of it that's just, you know, yes. better than anything you've ever heard. Yes. But yeah, those yeah. were the two. Yes, totally. And of course, a bunch of jazz musicians that bunch she knows that I don't know. Yeah, a bunch of jazz. I, Jack White is kind of, is, is, is there too. I know that like, they, there's no set list for those shows as far as I understand. So I've seen, I remember we're looking at, fixated on a bass player as he changed bass about four times until until Jack White had settled into what song they were about to play. He just was jamming, riffing, this outrageously cool solo. And he was trying to figure out what, where is he going to end up, what song is he going to... But, um, but I believe like, that's, that's such a dynamic set. Like, that's a, that's, but um, yeah, it's, there's not many people doing it like that. You know? I think it's really special. Yeah, so, it's our, so very quickly before you go, you would recommend seeing E Street Band if you have the chance. I would. I think. I think it would be very sad if you didn't see Bruce Springsteen and the East Street Band. Uh, 
I think it would be a shame not to if you got the chance. If you got the chance, I think of so. Course. Just just go yeah. just go see him once. I'm sure. I'm sure yeah. I will. Yeah. I think. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think my perspective on why artists are able to do that is because they're so clear on what it is that they're doing. Mm -hmm. So it's just materialized because mm -hmm. the clarity is there and. For you, I've always been so intrigued how clear your sound is and how it's so uniquely yours. Mm. And the process of discovering that um, from Take Me to Church in the Attic, like I just tried to imagine what that process was of you finding that sound and being like, mm. that's me. Yeah. I think a lot of it was at first, because I, I don't know, it's like a lot of, certainly for like church and it's a lot of those, this, this the sounds come back in, into a lot of the music across across the uh, catalogue, I guess. But um, I just arrived to it, again, just through through process of elimination. I'd worked as as a teenager, you know, with a couple of producers who were like, this, you know, this kid's got a great voice or whatever. And I was, you know, I didn't really know how to ex express or communicate as an 18, 19-year-old, 20-year-old. I like this sound, I don't like this sound, or this feels right, this doesn't feel right. And it's hard to say, you could have a song that's just like, sounds great, sounds fine, sounds really good, but it just doesn't feel like it's aligned with you. And it, there's some part of your body that's like, some part of your internal world that's like, I know that sounds cool, but it's just not, it just it doesn't sound like me, it's not me. And I, I think with with church, I just sat down, I didn't know how to work with recording software, I didn't know how to work with like Logic Pro, but I just literally figured it out, you know, and I and, and I just made noises until I, I they felt good, and that's kind of all I've ever been able to do. I wasn't like trained as a guitar player, I wasn't trained as a piano player, um, and I wasn't trained as a singer. So it was really just real DIY. What make you know what I mean? Like find something that feels good and 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 trust in that. So it's. It, I, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm winging it, but it, it always was just like just trusting it, trusting it, it, the gut and saying this feels absolutely right to me. It feels me to me, if that makes sense, and, and just going with that. Well, yeah, but again, going back to the idea of everything being subconscious, I mean, most people say that, of course, the stuff comes from the universe anyway. Right. So it's, yeah. I mean, who the fuck are you to argue with the universe? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of how you have to put it. Like, yeah, 100%. if the universe is like Neil Diamond said to me that, you know, Sweet Caroline came from God. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, so yeah. do you feel like when you look back on stuff, yeah, she's just giving us the, giving us the nod there. But um, I, I do. I think that's a. There's. I've heard that. You know, some people would say you just got to get out of the way of the music. You kind of get. You know, get out of the way. So let it. Let it be. Let it come to you. Sort of put yourself in that. Like I've heard artists describe it as being like an antenna. You know what I mean? And, and trying to. Ben Harper. Ben Harper, right? Who's yeah. a brilliant songwriter who put it the best. And this is actually the whole book we're doing right now is all about this. But he said, the way that you, if your antenna's up. Mm -hmm. The universe just drops the songs to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something to that. And I think that's like there's all sorts, like there's parallel thinking. There's a reason why, and this artists do this all the time. I don't know if you get this, but like you have an idea and you don't execute it. And then six months later, you see somebody's released the same idea that you had. <laughs> and you're like, God damn it. Like, why didn't I, I you know, so like it's, if, 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 you're if it doesn't catch your antenna, it's catching somebody else's. You know, there's a lot of parallel thinking going on. We all live in the same world and the same vibes are, are, are flowing through it but I think um, yeah it it does there's a there's a space I feel like you enter into and it's it's in that free shot nearly childlike like play set pl place of, of play of loose play where 
you're just open like you just are totally open and um in 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 all in all parts of yourself and i think that's where things just drop into you or something it's like you don't even need to drag the lake it's like the you know something you know some some there's some upswell you know and something you didn't know was either there resonates with something that's that's coming up from 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 somewhere else but it, it doesn't feel like there's no intention it doesn't feel like you you have intentionally sat down and go i'm going to write this thing it's like it just it just happens it it arrives into you well, I like the way that you put it, that, you know, if you don't do it, someone else is going to get it. Mm -hmm. So if Tom Waits had missed one song, mm -hmm. what's the one Tom Waits song he wrote that you wish had come to you instead of going to his antenna? Oh, that is really tough. I think, um... <laughs> well, I just have to, I like the way of being able to word it that way, but yes. it's basically what Tom Waits song would you write yeah, for me as my favorite writer? I think, I think, you know, uh, Soldier's Things, which I think is on... Yeah, it's on Swordfish Trombones, I think. No, it's on. Oh, that's the Underground album, is it? Um, uh, I think. I think it's. I think it's Soldiers' Things. But the. It's just. It's a really interesting. It's be beautiful piano performance. But it's him listing. It's like a. It's like a yard sale, and it's just him listening. Listing, all of these items that belong to somebody who's unnamed, and he's like, you know, Davenport's and kettle drums, swallowtail coats, and he's just going through a list of. It's a dude who's selling all of these items of this nameless, unknown soldier. A tinker, tailor, tailor soldier's things. And this one is for bravery. And this one, oh, that's for me. And everything's a dollar in this box. And it's like, it's a, it's a very subtle, like, anti-war song in a, in a way. You know, there's this just terrible sadness to it. And it's, it's, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't preach. It doesn't, it doesn't stand too high and mighty. It's kind of just this, like... It's, it literally is just like a, it's a monologue. It's just like again, and there's such a, there's a it's really him inhab inhabiting a character of it. Somebody's just selling stuff of some lost, unknown uh, soldier, I, I suppose. But uh, um, yeah, that's that to me was. I think there's a, there's a brilliance to that. There's a sort of a subtle genius to it, you know. Yeah, cool. You want to add anything? What because yeah. we got to wrap up. Yeah, I love how you described that space is very childlike and very free. But since we're doing this book project, The War of Art is one of the most aligned, I think, so I'm rereading that. Oh, cool. And it's, for me, it's sometimes such a war to get to that childlike space, which is kind of, you mm -hmm. know, oppos opposite of what that is and mm -hmm. feels like. Mm -hmm. I'm curious for you, is it quite a war zone to get that antenna up sometimes, or do you have um, rituals that... I don't know if it's, like, if it's like a battle. I think it's like... It's kind of like that thing where if you take up meditation, if you're trying to meditate, you're do if you're trying too hard, you're doing it wrong. You know what I mean? Where it's like the hard part is like dismantling. And I, and I think, yeah, I, the part of me that might feel at war, the part of us that might feel at war in that moment is like there's so much of yourself that you've established, you've spent your life creating a matrix of thought about who I am as a person, as a man, whatever, as an artist or, or as a woman. Whatever it, is, whatever you're, whatever you're invested into, the hard part is actually saying, "Well, no, I'm just, I'm just here in this moment, and I'm just doing this thing." And it's actually just letting go of yourself. And I don't know if you can't do that with, in an act of war. I don't think. I think that that's it's a it's an act of surrender, mm. um, and retreat. Like you're retreating away from your there's some sort of some um, sense of ego, if that makes sense, you know, and. Uh, uh, if I, if I, that, that, that to me, but that's really hard to do. And I think it, it takes a lot, for me, it takes a great sense of awareness and peace and quiet. Um, 
and knowing that I won't be disturbed as well too. And in, in this world where phones are buzzing every thirty seconds, and, and it's very hard to get, get away, get, get give yourself that 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 space. I think it can be difficult. That's where the that's the tricky part. That's the war, you know. Cool. What do you want to add? We didn't ask you about because I know we got to wrap up. Not nothing at all. Yeah, it's great chat. Yeah, thank you. So always, much. Dude. It's uh, always great seeing you. Yeah, and it's funny because we did an interview for my book Anthems, which actually it's going to be in the next volume. But I'm just going to tell you as a fan, and I'm not trying to. Pro Tom Waits wrote a chapter. No way. On songwriting, Tom Waits and Kathleen Brennan. Yes. So I just always want to share it with Tom Waits fans. Yes, I would love to. I would love to. Because it's that. like fucking insane that I and I. It's funny because we've talked about this. He never told me why. Mm -hmm. He just mm -hmm. basically was like, sure, we'll do it. That's nuts. And I'll, I'll never know until the day I die That's why Tom Waits agreed to do because he does nothing. But he's like, sure. And so they ha the point is they wrote this meditation on songwriting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's the craziest shit that I've ever seen because, again, you know. I would love to read that. Oh, yeah. my God. It's a, is, it, is, it because, is it because people, like, because he does so much that is so, it's like you wouldn't expect... Tom, maybe it's just that it's whatever he's moved to, but then also I'm sure people are like reluctant to ask him because it's it's like it's Tom Waits. Like you could, it's so hard to ask Tom. You know what I mean? It, I I would like I've always wanted to work with him, but I would never. I don't know if I dare muster up the courage. However, I have like, way. I have one of my best friends put it this way. He's like, I have no idea where your unwarranted confidence comes from, but <laughs> you have. There's no harm in asking. Yeah, true. You know, true. And I true. and his publicist said he would never do it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then you know. Mm -hmm came back and said, all right, he'll write his own chapter. And I think That's it was because I said it's for the song Take It With Me Yes. off Mule Variations, which that. to me is one of the top five songs it's, ever written. It's stunning. It's just a perfect song. And I talked about the fact, and it's funny because he wrote in the chapter, he and Kathleen, they're like, we went back and listened to this and we're surprised at how well it holds up. Wow. wow. You know, but oh. it's also because of the fact too that again, it was like I said, it's a song that could be played at both my funeral and my yes. wedding. Yes. So it's so personal, yeah. I think to me that I think that's probably part yeah. of it was the fact that, it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I know we got to wrap up and we're going to get yelled at in uh, a second. No, so. it's all good. I love that song we're, so we're, Yeah, we're just wrapping, yeah. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, but yeah. so wait, what's the, what's the, um, now I have to ask, Two-word answer. Who else would you want to work with besides Tom Waits? Um, I know you worked with Annie Lennox, who I know very well. Annie Lennox is wonderful. Yeah, she, she was. She was so kind as well, so supportive. She gave me a lot of words of encouragement. Um, she's a badass too. She really is. She yeah. really is badass. Um, I don't know. It's a, that's a really tough one. I think. Um, oh my god, I'd have to. I'd have to think about it. I'm kind of. I'm kind of caught on the hop of that. But um, it's all good. I was yeah. just curious because you know you mentioned never having the nerve to ask Tom Waits. And, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, man, you got nothing to lose this world by asking. Hundred percent. Yeah, 100%. yeah the right then come back and you're like, yeah, I never expected that. Yeah, well, the right project. You never know. Like, um, but he he was such he was like so, he was, he, I I was obsessed with him as a teenager, and he sort of was my, he was yeah like I, I remember seeing footage of like the big time tour and stuff like that, and, and uh, yeah, I just I just wanted to dive into his work. You know what I mean? I really wanted to swim. You know what I mean? It was like a, a big dark lake i wanted to, to, to swim in you know what i mean it was it's it's such a interesting uh, body work over you know so many different but i think yeah mule variations is that was from Mule variations wasn't yeah it? Mm -hmm. that is timeless like it's just yeah. it, it, w it will always be you know uh, to me it's just for some reason you know you, you just get those songs that stick with you in a way that you're like okay yeah. you know yeah they will travel with you your entire life yeah yeah. You know, and it's funny though to be able to then say that Tom went back and listened to it because mm -hmm. it, I mean that's just you know yeah yeah he's yeah. like wow he's like we thought you were crazy but this song really does hold up yeah no yeah 
And it's so intimate as well, too, that that song opens up and the, the, the phone's off the hook. Yeah. And no one knows where we are. It's been a long time since I drank champagne. And it's like, he just sets the scene in such an intimate, like in three lines. And it's so, it's so personal and so intimate. And like, I don't know. He just, he... Well, yeah, he paints a picture in a way that just no one else does. Yeah. yeah. He really did. Yeah. 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 And it's just that whole passage of, you know, in this town, there's a woman. In this, the, yes. in this woman, there's a heart. In a, in a land, there's a town. In, in, a, a, town, in a town, there's this woman. Yeah. In this woman, there's a heart. Yeah. I'm going to take it with me when yes. I go. Come yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay. It's such a stunning song. Cool. Yeah. All right, I know we're going to get yelled at. Okay, okay. Yeah, dude, fun. always so great to see you. Hey, it's Steve Balton. You've been here on My Turning Point, where Sage Bob and I have been with Hozier this week. Thanks for joining us. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.